Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. Why do we want to be cool and normal during sex? My guest this episode is Sarah from Girl on the Net. It's one of the hottest sex blogs in the world. Sarah is a bit of a lightning rod for people's fantasies because over 12 years running her blog, she's learned what would be the things that would help us to create a free sex world. So in this episode, Sarah and I discussed the removal of the pressure to be cool, clean, and normal. (laughs) Poo happens. Let's take care of business. Sarah, girl on the net, thank you very much for joining me on Free Sex today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited (laughs) to talk about free sex. And we are talking at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning. So um, this is this is a great conversation to have at that right. time. <laughs> Start the week off right with a nice sex chat. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so as you know, my question is, what does free sex mean to you? Or in other words, what's stopping us having the sex that we all deserve and should have? I love this question so much. And I've been thinking about it loads. I've got basically three key things that come up a lot in my work that I think Mm -hmm. are kind of holding people back and that I would like for us to either remove completely or just dismantle Mm -hmm. a bit in order to have free sex. Those those things are, the first one is shame. Shame is biggie. The second one is the idea of being cool or performing Mm. for somebody. 
And the third one is the idea of normal. What is normal? A lot of people really get hung up on this idea of what might be normal. Okay. Okay, right. Well, these are this is our this is our menu. Let's go through it. So, talk to me about shame. Why do you think we need to rethink our relationship with shame and and how does that issue come up in your work? So, I think shame, one of the things that I feel is sort of part of my role as a sex blogger and general pervert who likes telling stories <laughs> is to try and um banish shame and and live my life in a way where I'm not being ashamed of the things I do that are consensual and joyful so you know I I might be upset and ashamed of the times when I have said something hurtful to somebody but I'm not going to be ashamed of the times when I've had a really hot threesome with two people and we all had a lovely time together like there's nothing shameful about that you know it was all consensual and I think shame itself is a a very powerful social tool that has been used over, you know, centuries, thousands of years, ever since the dawn of humanity to try and make people feel like, well, this particular sexual thing you like is deviant. You are bad for it. Like shame is used so much in, in sex, particularly, you know, when religion comes in, like people are, you know, their lives and their behavior is, is often controlled by societal shame. Yeah. And so many people still carry this, um, even in, you know, 2023. There is a lot of shame that bleeds into how we talk about sex. And how do you encounter it in either people that are reading your work or listening to your work or the work that's published on the website? Tell me more about how it comes up. Most of where it comes up is when people are, um, I notice it a lot, obviously, because to me, one of the things that really matters in my work, I need people to share my work in order for my work to find a wider audience. I need Uh people to share it. I need them to say, oh, this was really hot. This is great. You know, I'm going to retweet it. I'm going to repost it. Mm -hmm. What I actually get is I get a lot of people contacting me privately and saying, I love that you shared this story about, let's say, for instance, um, I have polycystic ovaries and so sometimes I write about how very hairy I am because that is a a side effect of the condition I grow hairs on my neck and and various other places and I'll get people contacting me saying I'm so glad you wrote about this like I have this too and I feel so ashamed and like I don't really want to share it because I'm you know I'm nervous and I don't want to talk about it because you know then I feel like I'm gross and disgusting and blah 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 Mm -hmm. when it comes to sort of sexual kinks people will say oh I love that you talked about enjoying this particular thing um but I, you know, I feel like I can't really say it because people would judge me or whatever, or it's shameful to talk about sex. And I sort of think the problem is like, yeah, of of course, I'm not going to tell any individual that they have to talk about this stuff publicly. But all the while, so many of us are living under this shadow of, well, I don't want to talk about it in case I am shamed or because I feel shame about it. There are tons and tons of other people who also then believe, well, I am somehow shameful. The, the, mm-hmm. the less we talk about it, the more people sort of sit within this shame and feel embarrassed about stuff that, let's be honest, isn't actually shameful. Like, yeah. there is nothing shameful about performing a consensual sex act with somebody who is also consenting and having a great time, right? We're, yeah. You know, we're bringing more it's- joy into the world. <laughs> And it is so interesting in the context of like having a sex blog. I hadn't thought about it that like whatever success your sex blog has, um, that is like actually impeded and hindered by the shame because uh, 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 people might consume your content, but not like share it with friends 
uh, privately even or mm. not like post it on their Instagram or their Twitter and saying, hey, everyone, like, look at this. And so, you know, it's almost like, I mean, you are managing amazingly to do amazing work and to actually make a success out of having a, a sex blog. But actually, you know, probably your success would be like 10 or 100 times more if you were doing, I don't know, bloody makeup tutorials or a makeup blog or something <laughs> just because loads of people more would be willing to share that do you oh. think about that how it kind of hinders the work that you do and the reach that you can have yeah definitely I mean not in mm. a way I, I don't you know I don't want anybody to feel bad if they can't you know if they feel of like they course. can't share my work because obviously yeah. they live in this society and society has made people yeah. feel shame and on top of that a lot of the structures that we we currently have so social networks mm. will shadow ban and censor content yeah. related to sex so it is really difficult you know it is difficult for people to do that anyway mm-hmm. but I did once a long time ago I'm going to say maybe five six years ago I did a little um a bit of analysis of my tweets when I was tweeting out blog posts and what uh-huh. I noticed was ones that are a bit more ranty where I'm you know having a feminist rant about consent or I'm talking about something that is basically safe for work so it's not a sort of smutty blog post Those would get loads more shares, but far fewer clicks. Whereas the smutty stuff, if I'm talking about anal or, you know, fisting or whatever, that would get tons more clicks, but far fewer shares. So you can see in the stats that people are interested in this kind of sexual content, but they don't want to publicly share it and say, I am interested. And so, wow. Yeah, I thought I found it quite, it was quite fun at the time just doing that I wonder analysis. how that would also be this, be, be now if you, because if you repeated that same analysis six years on, whether that's changed at all or oh, the yeah. same. I mean, I don't think we've had a sh- like an anti-shame revolution in six years, but be interesting <laughs> compare. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there are certain things that we have... I mean, there are some really obvious things that we have learned are not shameful. You know, take, let's say, the last few decades, like Mm -hmm. particularly when we talk about LGBT rights. I think one of the reasons why, um, you know, one of the tools with which people initially tried to fight back against LGBT rights was shame. The idea that, you know, your sexuality is shameful and you should be ashamed. And we have obviously... If we are not assholes, we have learned over the last few decades that that is not acceptable and that's not appropriate. We haven't learned that shame itself surrounding desire and sexuality is not appropriate. But what we've kind of done is we've started carving out these areas where we've said, okay, well, of course, that that part isn't shameful and that part isn't shameful. But we do still use shame. Um, You know, we do still use shame to try and control how people live their lives and how people yeah. express their sexuality or the the sex acts that they are allowed to enjoy within their own private sphere. And it's interesting that you mention um, like control there because I think a lot of, and you mentioned religion earlier on, you know, for millennia, um, it has been religion, which is a, a system of control um, mm. that has uh, used shame to stop people having uh, the, the sex that they want. Um, and although for many people, ma- many people now are living in a kind of like post-religion uh, world. Um, I mean, obviously it is still mm. with us, but many people in terms of their own personal lives, religion doesn't really factor. Um, it doesn't influence them. Um, and yet there is another kind of institution 
uh, that is, I well, I I'm I want to hear your response to this. This okay. is a theory. Um, the, there is another institution um, which we are all subject to, which is social media that you've mentioned, which has a completely different ambition and aim to religion, <laughs> but it but it is also somewhat controlling what sex we are able to see, um, mm-hmm. and it sends us signals and messages. Um, such as you, if you post something on a social media site um, and it gets shadow banned, it's sending you a signal that this is shameful. Yeah. So um, that's my provocation. Is social media the new religion in the game of shame? God, that's such an interesting question. I mean, I think social media definitely plays a huge role in <laughs> shame and shaming and particularly around sex. I think one of the things that I have found fascinating in this sort of discourse over the last year or so is this idea of the ick have you heard of the concept okay. of the ick yeah well yeah i have but tell me more because i think you're yeah you know a lot about this so go on <laughs> <laughs> well so the idea the idea of the ick and again this i think it it, it blew up on tiktok as so many things do and it bled mm-hmm. through into my twitter i'm not on tiktok um, but the idea is that you know you're dating someone who otherwise is great in many different ways and then they do something that gives you the ick And the ick is just this sort of general kind of slight feeling of disgust. But the idea is that once you've got the ick about someone, then you can't see them as a a romantic or sexual partner anymore. So it could be anything from like, oh, the way that they ate soup and the noise they made when they ate soup to like, oh, they tripped over something and fell in a really sort of silly, ungainly manner or whatever. (laughs) And the idea, (laughs) but I found it so interesting because fundamentally the way, the way people talk about the ick, They talk about it as if, you know, oh, well, it's my problem. I just got this horrible bit of disgust. It's my problem and it's not their problem, but I got the ick and so I can't Mm. see them again. But actually, fundamentally, it's kind of rooted in shame and the idea that like, well, somebody's done something that even though it's not their fault, this particular thing like it's it's a clumsy thing or it's something to do with their body or their smell or the way they carry themselves and that has you know that is gross enough that it has given somebody else disgust Mm -hmm. and to me all of this again it's it's just shame in a different dress Mm, like it's we are essentially saying you know if you don't fancy someone because of the way they eat soup fine i think you're silly (laughs) but but fine but own that and say i just don't fancy you and that's fine yeah don't feel like it's almost like we need to feel a level of moral justification yes so we put it on the other person yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's a kind of you know our own prejudice uh, prejudice is maybe a bit of a strong word but our own dislikes Mm. or or you know the Mm. things that we don't want in a partner it's Mm. almost like we're using shame to sort of blame the other person and be like well that's your fault you know it's your fault that i don't like you and yeah don't get me wrong. I think shame has a role. I think there are lots of things, areas where we should use shame. For instance, yeah. if people are engaging in behavior that is non-consensual or violent yeah. or threatening or where people are using their power, we should be yeah. shaming people who abuse their power to cause people harm. But when we use shame, essentially just as a way of saying, ooh, about somebody's kink or somebody's sexuality mm-hmm. i think in order for us to have free sex and if we were to live in a society where sex was free i think i would i would expect most people whenever they feel some kind of internal 
sense of ooh or ick or ear. I would want them to take that feeling, examine it and look at where it actually comes from. Does that genuinely come from somebody making a poor moral choice and doing something that, you know, you, you, you think is deserving of shame or is that just an internal hang up? That makes me think about uh, anal sex because uh, you know how a lot of the time, like a big part of anal sex is that poo exists. Yeah. And um, so there's a, you know, a huge um, impediment. That's a huge impediment um, to a lot of people for either having anal sex in general or a specific, um, you know, potential moment of anal sex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And uh, and it's and it you know or they or they say that they want their partner to be like clean like and that they can't handle it if there's like a tiny little flake of poo or whatever yeah um and so and actually i think a lot of and a lot of people do sh- can like shame their partner um if their partner if 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 they're you know they can shame the person whose poo it is basically and it's basically probably actually if you think about it it's just it's just it's just you shaming them because you're like, well, ultimately, unconsciously, I know I make poo and I'm disgusted by poo. And so um, I'm kind of making you ashamed of your poo because internally I'm really ashamed of my own poo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you know, I love I think that's such a good example as well. Like there is I've had this a lot if I've been engaging in anal play with someone and I feel it myself. If somebody puts Mm -hmm. a butt plug in me, I will allow a partner to put a butt plug in me. But as a general rule, unless I know them very well, I prefer to take it out myself after we have finished (laughs) shagging. Same. (laughs) I just would prefer to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that, and that isn't something, you know, I'm not like, ooh, it's just... That's something I recognise. Well, it's there, that, isn't it? It's there, yeah. Yeah, like my own discomfort. But the other way round, I find I've I've done sort of anal play with a few guys who I'm mostly straight, so it's usually guys. Yeah. Um, with a few guys who, so let's say I, you know, put a finger in or a butt plug or something. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, they will often be quite um like proactively defensive, like, oh, I'm sorry, was there any mess? Oh, I'm sorry, that's mm, really... Yeah. Someone recently said to me, oh my God, I think there's a bit of mess. Oh my God, that's so disgusting. I'm sorry, I'm so yeah. disgusting. And yeah. I had to say to him, like, dude, nothing your body does mm-hmm. is going to be disgusting to me or mm-hmm. require me to, you know... Basically, mm. I'm never going to shame you for anything that your body does. Mm. Shame should only ever be reserved for choices you have made, which I disagree with. The yes. fact that your ass makes poo <laughs> is <laughs> that is how your body is generally supposed to work. And that is not a shameful yeah. thing. And it's yeah. also, you know, I chose to do this fun sex thing with you. And yeah. I knew that there were risks that maybe you weren't going to just be a plastic doll about it. Like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> exactly. So the next thing you wanted to talk about was being cool. Uh, and that's obviously linked into what well, it's kind of connected to, isn't it? The stuff that we were just talking about with shame, yes. you know, where you want to be cool, like you don't want to have poo um, <laughs> and loads of other things. So tell me more about why you're why you want to remove this pressure to be cool. Yes. And so you're right. It is very, very linked to the shame thing, I think, like one of the ways in which we try to avoid shame and to avoid being shamed is I think we often have this idea that we should show up for sex as perfect as we 
possibly can be. We've got, you know, not only are we hairless and slender or toned or, you know, however it is our body's supposed to be, depending on our gender and blah, blah, blah. Um, But we're also, you know, we know how to give someone great oral. We're brilliant at kissing. We make the right noises. Our dirty talk is perfect, blah, blah, blah. And I think this idea that we should essentially perform for the person that we're having sex with is often a huge barrier to having good sex. I think good sex. So to me, I, I have a, my, my general motto is that I am never knowingly cool, particularly when I'm shagging, <laughs> I never knowingly be cool. <laughs> like, Cool. Cool is the kid who stands at the side of the school disco and sneers at you if you come up and ask them to dance because you're not beautiful enough or, you know, you're not in the gang of popular kids. Like uncool and desperate and slutty and fun, which is what I would always hope to be, is like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is so fun. I'm so delighted to be here with you. No, it doesn't matter if you've forgotten to shave this bit or that bit or if you make a weird face when you're coming or if you sweat too much because you're fucking me so hard. Like all of this stuff to me is part and parcel of the experience. And so cool and performance what that is that's two people showing up and having this huge barrier of shame between them so the sex that you have might you know look pretty cool and be pretty impressive but there's no connection there yeah and i feel like all the oh sorry yeah go for it no i was gonna say what one of the um uh, things that you just made me think of is how when you were saying about um like showing up and being like like perfect or being cool um is how i think uh a lot of the time people want to it's also connected to the shame thing and the and the hygiene the cleanliness thing um, and i experience this a lot in like um like on grinder and like generally like gay sex conversation okay is like um you know yes there is the stuff to do with anal but there's also um this assumption so, for example, I really like it if your if your armpits smell bad. Oh, quote, nice. Quote, bad, right? So this is a good example. So, yeah. like, um, so a person who um, attends my chamber um, <laughs> with uh, armpits that smell like uh, perfect uh, deodorant that they bought at Boots uh, and shower gel um, it is assuming that. Uh, it, you know, is is being cool, and they're assuming that that's what I want because there's this dominant idea that you should be like clean and that you should smell like the products that are sold to us in boots. Yes, <laughs> um, and that that's part of being cool, right? You know, the Lynx effect. That was the advertising for the the Lynx deodorant was the Lynx effect. That if you smell like this, then all these people like threw themselves at you, <laughs> and so that so they're assuming that that's cool and that that's what I want. And actually, if they'd asked me, I would say like, no, don't wash your pits, babe. <laughs> 
Like, bring yeah. me that stench. I love it. That's such a good example as well, because I think, so to me, I, I agree with you, by the way. I love a smell. <laughs> I love people who smell like people. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and I, one of, I think, so to me, that is so much more interesting and hot as a conversation to have at the start of sex. Yes, exactly. You yeah, can, like, what do you want? Do you want clean or do you want smell? And then, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, and although like I'm not just doing it for you, because like you said, there's another part of this cool thing, which is performing. Like it's not necessarily your duty, depends on the dynamic, but it's not necessarily your duty to perform exactly what the other person wants, because that's as its own pressure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think ideally what I would like what I would like people to replace performance with is the mm-hmm. idea of collaboration. Uh-huh. So with your example, Yeah, rather than somebody making an assumption about what you want and then performing to that assumption, having that conversation with you and saying, oh, I've I've just been to the gym this morning, so I'll I'll have a shower before I come around. And then you can say, oh, actually, no, don't. I love the smell of armpits. I think that'd be really hot. Then what's happened, I think what's happened there is a much more beautiful and I think freer kind of sex because you've you've had that conversation sex is no longer something that you are performing for somebody mm-hmm. it's something that you're building with somebody you know you're mm-hmm. building that tone and that scene you're setting the scene they now know <laughs> as they're heading over to your house they're thinking mm-hmm. oh well i know that he really likes armpits mm-hmm. so okay how about when we're fucking maybe i'm gonna sort of get us into this position where i can get my armpit in his face or like they can oh start God. thinking about that and you can start thinking about it in return and it becomes a bit more back and forth yeah that makes sense does it uh, are there any particular uh, groups or types of people or communities that you find uh, um are kind of more willing to do this kind of this this collaborative approach to sex you know through the work that you do because you you know you you pull content and and material and stories from so many different types of people actually now on on your website Mm. so um, I'm curious and maybe oh, yeah so are there a particular where do you see that collaboration happening so uh, I'm so just cards on the table I am a cis white middle-class straight woman and mm-hmm. my experience I mean I have slept with women but my experience generally is with straight cis guys mm-hmm. so I don't really want to speak for any other communities mm-hmm. however I would say that trans people who are into sex and talk about sex online are mm-hmm. fucking exceptional about this. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to understand how to have a really interesting nuanced conversation about likes and dislikes and how mm-hmm. to pleasure somebody else's body, go and read some brilliant trans sex blogs. Kelvin Sparks is brilliant on queer street is brilliant. Um, Oh, oh, my my head, my mind goes blank. There are lots more. <laughs> but um, I think people, because trans people are very used to having these conversations about, you know, this is my body, but my body isn't necessarily going to be exactly how I want it to be or doing exactly these particular things. Mm-hmm. Um, because trans people's very existence challenges the fucking cis hetero mm. idea of exactly what sex should be. Exactly. Um, and also those things that you've mentioned so far, shame, it challenges that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it often inverts that, um, it, you know, because society has put shame on trans people and in order for them to continue existing, they try to invert that and, you know, hopefully succeed. And then also being cool. 
Um, yeah. And like, because part of being cool, which we haven't really talked about, but I think it's included, tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's included in the idea of being cool is basically performing your gender in the correct way. Oh, right. That's yes. how you're, you're seen to be cool if you're performing your gender in the right, right way, because, you know, gender is still a big part of our like attraction patterns and desires. So 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 tr- trans people by their existence are already in a conversation um, with those concepts that you've mentioned so far, shame and being cool. Yes. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And yeah. as I say, I'm always I'm, I'm wary of like speaking for any group. And I know there will be plenty of trans yeah. people who will be like, can you actually just fucking leave us alone? And I don't want to have the conversation about genitals with anybody else. Thank you. But yeah. if you're particularly if you're looking for like sex writers and um, thinkers and people who can, you know, if, if any of your listeners want to sort of read a bit further on this, seeking yeah. out trans writers in the sex space, I think is always going to help you to reframe the way that you tend to have those discussions and maybe challenge the things that you you know would take as an assumption going into into the bedroom with somebody new Um, there's a there's a chapter about this in sean fay's book the transgender issue and i'm also thinking of another book by juna roche called uh queer sex i think oh Um, yes both trans writers yeah 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 both worth checking out i love sean particularly so you're Third point was, am I normal? Uh, Help yes. me. Am I? <laughs> you are. Well, the good news is you are. We all are. And also <laughs> okay. we all are not. And that's fine. <laughs> okay. So again, how does this come up in your work? So it is one, I think one of the most common, even if people don't ask it as a question directly, they very rarely directly ask the question, am I normal? But usually it will come, you know, is this okay? Is this common? Is this acceptable? Fundamentally, we as people, one of the most normal things to do as a human being is to like fall to your knees, look to the sky and yell, fuck, am I normal? Ah." (laughs) We panic about it and we worry about it, like particularly if we have a particular kink or fetish or something that turns us on, am I normal? And I think people want to know, people are desperate to know that they're not an outlier and they're not weird. I think this, you know, it comes back to shame because we use shame as a way to sort of bully the outliers back into the center of the group. You know, you have this unusual desire or this unusual need. We will shame you for it. And then you'll, you know, get back in your box and pretend to be normal again. Um, But fundamentally, this one of the things I love most about my job is that I get to hear loads of different people's sexual fantasies and desires. And the the difference and the variety is, I think, one of the things that makes people beautiful. Finding somebody with a kink or a fetish or a thing that they love that is genuinely new and unique to me. It happens rarely, but when it happens, it's so beautiful to go, holy shit, I had never conceived of this particular fetish in that way. And the fact that you love it makes you unique and beautiful. The fact that you have one at all makes you very normal because most of us do. Obviously, I've got to ask you for an example. Can can you think of something that you know, over the past six months or something that's come up where you're like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. Do you know, okay, can I give you two? Oh, yeah. So usually it's not about, when people ask this question, usually they want me to say something unusual like, oh, putting balloons down your trousers and popping them or something. <laughs> um, that is a fetish, um, but it's, you know, I, it's not one that is new to me. But for yeah. me, it's usually just 
somebody who has a fetish I'm familiar with, but in an interesting new direction. So somebody called Sunburst, I think they call, oh no, Sundial. If you search my blog for Sundial, you'll find this, wrote me a guest piece about getting spanked. Now, spanking okay. is a very, very common kink. Lots of people have it. But yeah. the way they wrote this fantasy, basically it was about them being led into an all men's gym and uh, naked. And the person who led them in there essentially said, right, she has been very naughty and needs to be punished. Who can give her the hardest spanking? Oof. And so she's looking at the, the way she writes it in this post is so beautiful she's looking at these all these real muscular gym bros like huge popped biceps and you know big yeah. veiny muscles and the biggest guy steps forward and takes her over his knee and then she describes this spanking 10 strokes spanking each one is like a crack and in between she's really laser focusing on the detail of the muscles and the strength and wow. how hard the spanking is right it, wow yeah it honestly i so rarely do i ever walk away from something going i think i have a brand new kink but that and, post <laughs> and that sounds like just really good writing as well oh it was yeah it was very very beautiful writing and it was yeah. also it because it wasn't a brand new kink on me. Like, oh, well, I'm a bit into spanking myself. I love, I love a good spanking. But it was the the very the specifics of it and the way that she managed to capture. It's not just about getting spanked. It's about mm. getting spanked by the strongest person in the room while all these other strong people look on and see me. Um, so that is a recent example. I'm going to give you one other one as well because I think it's lovely. Um, I uh, recently acquired a new boyfriend. I'm very excited about him oh um, congratulations thanks very much he's to very, both of you <laughs> thank you he's very special i like him a lot um he we as we have been discussing like kinks and fetishes and and uh, what we enjoy in bed one of the things that has become really really apparent to me is that he has a thing for intimacy so ah <laughs> <laughs> So while we're in bed, I've never had anybody who who actively sexually gets off on saying things like, oh, I'm so into you. You're fucking incredible. You're so you're so amazing. Or if I say to him, I just feel so much for you. I feel so deeply for you. Like that is a genuine sexual thing which enhances our sex life and makes our sex more intense. Like that build that build of connection Mm -hmm. building that connection is something that he's really into and mm -hmm. ever since I sort of discovered this with him I've now spoken to other people who are like oh yeah I think I've met someone who's quite like that or like oh I think I'm quite like that but it feels weird to say it because when people think about kinks they think spanking or you know splotch yeah. or whatever so that's funny because we're talking about am I normal and uh, within the context of kink like it's quote unquote not normal to be into intimacy. It's supposed to all be about the act of the spanking or uh, the fisting or whatever it is. But actually, as you said at the beginning, you know, yes, you are normal. Everyone's normal and also abnormal in different ways. And none of this matters anyway. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so you've got, you've kind of got like a very, no like a normal version of a kink. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, yeah. it struck me as uh, the reason I wanted to use it as an example is because, yeah, the, when we talk about kink, the idea that mm. somebody 
you know, would just be into like really like emotional intensity as a king. <laughs> I've floated this idea with some of my supporters on Patreon and they're yeah. all like, oh my God, I want someone who's got that kink. Like that sounds like oh, a wow. really beautiful kink. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> it's hot. I, I have another question because we're getting close towards the end, but I really want to ask you it for, um, from your uh, experience with with all these stories that kind of flow through you and the blog um and it and it brings together the normal and the shame thing as well um and obviously as you said you're um, a straight woman but I want to ask about bisexuality and how um that comes up in the work that you publish and in the comments that you get from people because um biphobia is still like like such a big problem I think um Mm. in society and I think it's partly you know and it's 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 just as prominent among uh gay community as it is among like the rest of the world I don't want to say straight community because I don't think that exists but um (laughs) you know where there's this idea that well I have to you know uh like I feel like I should be one or the other um and people are making me say you know I'm you know I'm not getting dates because I say I'm bisexual and they say well ultimately you're going to go off with somebody you know with the other gender aren't you so Uh. I don't want to date you you know these are things that still persist and I just wondered when it comes to sex and because a lot of the comments that you see from people and the interactions that you have with people are um, anonymous and, and private maybe it's more you you kind of get more truthful experiences here but um I just wondered if you have noticed anything about how people talk about bisexuality um or that you know their own bisexuality and their own divergent like um desires here in this context of normal and yeah well yeah i mean i firstly i yeah i completely agree with you like i think biphobia is still rampant even in groups or communities where you would think you know these people should know better (laughs) like um and i think yeah, it's really difficult. So I, I have a I have a difficult relationship with uh, bisexuality because I sometimes fancy women and I sometimes mm-hmm. shag women and mm-hmm. bi friends of mine have told me, well, then you are bisexual and you should use that label. Yeah. Um, I'm reluctant to use that label just because of the way that my relationships tend to work. I have only ever been in relationships with men um, mm-hmm. and yeah so and I know other people who are in a similar position where they've kind of had a bit of experience exploring um their bi or pansexuality but they wouldn't necessarily be comfortable claiming that label and I think sometimes the reason for that is because of exactly what you're talking about this shame of like well you say you're bi but at some point in the future you'll get with one gender or the other um the idea that you can't be bisexual and also monogamous by the way is ridiculous like you are still bisexual if you're in a monogamous relationship with a person of whatever gender yeah um i think um, i think in a society where we had free sex and in a society where we had banished shame just based on the conversations that I have had with people, I think there would be lots more people who would be more comfortable, not just exploring their sexuality more broadly, but also talking about the ways in which they had explored their sexuality more broadly. Okay. You know, I would like to live in a world where somebody can explore feelings that they have for a particular gender. They can be more playful and exploratory if they find friends or lovers who are, you know, up for playing with them. And then choose that to use that label or not use that label, depending on their experiences. 
Um, but I think particularly for bisexual people, there is this pressure of like, okay, well, you have to know and you have to be sure because you are immediately put on the back foot and and you're supposed yeah. to then immediately defend your bisexuality from people who are saying, well, you're probably just straight and you'll end up with someone or you're probably just gay and yeah. you'll end up with someone, you know. Does um, the word does the word hetero flexible work for you? Um yeah, for me personally. Yeah. Um maybe. Yeah. I mean I, I don't I'm not sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. It's just I've seen that word a lot. No, on field especially and i'm just wondering whether that applies yeah i mean it it probably does this is a, this is quite a difficult question <laughs> to ask me right now because about a year okay. ago about a year ago i told myself to stop uh essentially to stop projecting labels of bisexual pushing back and just being like no i'm a straight woman i don't want to try and claim a label and allow okay. myself to explore my own sexuality within that context and try and be a little bit more open to it. But I don't, basically, I don't know how, how far I have come on that journey. So I'm not sure. Okay, okay. And I'm no, very reluctant to claim any labels that might, you yeah. know, be harmful to a group or make me look like I'm, I don't know, pretending to something that I'm not when I don't really know how, you know, where I sit. And ultimately, basically. we know that the labels don't ever really capture the full extent of our feelings and our identities and our desires the label is a shorthand because we have to use words and words are imprecise absolutely absolutely and I think this just bringing it briefly back to the idea of normal I think I would love for the idea of normal and the concept of normal for us to replace this worry about you know am I normal with the idea of is this normal for me Ah, so okay. reflecting instead of saying am i normal within society reflecting on does this feel authentic to me does this label or this act or this behavior or this approach does it feel like it is normal for me and authentic to me um and just encourage people to think about it more in terms of cuz yeah throughout our lives we go through different phases we'll have some phases where we don't really fancy sex at all and others where we might be really horny we might be exploring one particular kink in our 20s but it might leave us cold by the time we're 35 like considering you know authenticity and our journey through life and and who we are rather than always sitting ourselves in the context of the entire rest of humanity and is this normal because you know in the context of the entire rest of humanity the only thing that is normal is the most like vanilla cishet kind of yeah. sex where you know tick box the vast majority yeah. will you know say probably fine um and that's not in any way reflective of the actual beauty of humanity sarah this has been great i've so much so so much ground to cover and um it's been lovely to hear you talk so articulately and clearly about all these things before we wrap up is there anything else that you want to make sure that we're including in our world of free sex. <laughs> yes, I've got one last thing. And I oh, just okay. so I think one of the things that would make the biggest difference, and I've been reflecting on this a lot recently, for mm. me, because my job is a sex blogger, I write sex blogs, I make audio porn, I think about sex all the time. I have the luxury of time to think about sex a lot. And mm. I think I have much, much better, more interesting, more exciting, more connective, more fun sex 
now that this is my job and since this has been my job because I have the luxury of time to think about it. So for me, I think one of the best and most useful things for everybody to have a better sex life would be a universal basic income so Uh that none of us have to worry about money. We have enough money to get by. I imagine a lot of us with the free time that money had bought would be spending more of that time thinking about sex, connecting with our partners, like putting time and thought into how we have sex. So yeah, universal basic income, the best thing for a good sex life. Great. I love that. That's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm okay. I'm signed up. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) Vote for you. Vote for Sarah. Uh, This has been so uh, great. So lovely to hear you talk about all these things, Sarah. Thank you very much. You've really um, taken us by the hand and (laughs) led me into the world of free sex. Thank you so much. This is such a cool question and I love it and such an interesting idea for a podcast. So yeah, I'm excited to hear all the other episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of free sex, the idea or the podcast. Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah. Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon, hosted, produced, and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, Good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 